the things that do the best are like I said those like quick fix type things which mm-hmm. you see a lot of people do of here's like two quick stretches in like 15 seconds to fix this or fix that right. um, and so posting short little clips like that are, do really really well so the big question is how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of The Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome back to The Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is Aaron LeBauer, your host, and today my special guest is Adam Fair. Adam is a uh, physical therapist. He's been a traveler. He does a lot of uh, orthopedics, and I found Adam on Instagram, and Followed him for a while, not only because he's got red hair, but he's also um, going back to med school. And so uh, that piqued my interest because my, the way, my initial thing was to go to med school and I couldn't make it past organic chemistry. And now I'm, I'm here as a physical therapist. So Adam, thanks for spending your time uh, with us today and coming on the show. Appreciate you having, having you here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, man. So um, what I always love to do is have people kind of uh, share a little bit about uh, kind of how'd you get here and who they are. So um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are you primarily, what do you do right now and who do you help? Okay. Yeah. So since I graduated in spring 2018, I've just been travel PT working in ortho. And so obviously that kind of varies a little bit, especially just nature travel. Um, most demographic I worked with was probably your 15 up group. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of my online stuff and who I've worked with there, mostly your 20-something-year-olds to yeah. early 30s, athletes, CrossFitters. Right on. And how did you get into travel PT? Um, it was just kind of my plan, really, the whole time, even in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Missouri, kind of Midwest, whole, not a whole lot around. Yeah. And so big goal there was I want to actually see something, see the bigger cities, see the rest of the country, and seem like a good outlet for it. So. Yeah. Right on. What's the, like, what's the most exciting uh, assignment or place you've been to because of traveling? Not too much, actually. So I went down to Georgia and then I found a girlfriend. Um, I think towards the middle of my second contract and then just kind of stayed around there as much as I could. So yeah. Yeah. Right on. So it was like, it was like, Hey, let's go see the country. You got to Georgia, found somebody special. And then that's kind of what slowed it down or you guys still yep. traveling? Yeah. Um, not right now. Um, kind of in that weird in between right now with just where the market is plus right in the hair back on med school. Mm-hmm. And so not really knowing what to do with myself and like where to relocate. So I've just started going a lot more all in on my online stuff because I have a lot of goals there. So awesome. Well, How'd you uh, decide you were going to be a PT? So it sounds like you knew in undergrad you wanted to be a PT, right? Was that, yep. was there something that like, did you know in high school? Did you know, or is there something that happened in injury or uh, someone you met or some reason you decided to go down this path? So I actually didn't even know what a PT was until like midway through undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always, I'm going to law school. That was my plan. Um, a lot of things that fed into that market collapse and other things, but Basically, how I got exposed to PT in the first place is I have a younger brother with special needs who has autism, cerebral palsy, some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that got my initial exposure and initial interest. And I just kind of found it. Started my sophomore year of college, started looking more and more into it, and decided that's more what I wanted to do. So um, 
obviously still love it. In terms of the med school thing, it was something I considered a little bit at the time. Um, was drawn a little more to PT, mostly for the work-life balance type side of things. And then I became a workaholic. And then, <laughs> yeah. So. so the work-life balance thing wasn't really there. Yeah, that went out pretty quick. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't I have work-life balance either. You know, I, I, I kind of see it as like a, a work-life mix. You know, it's like if I'm mm. passionate about something, I always want to keep doing it, right? Oh, yeah. And that's where I've gotten with it, too. It's not really giving one or the other up. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. What, uh, so you graduated, you graduated uh, undergrad, went to PT school, and was it your first job out of, out of school traveling, or did you do something yep. else for a while? Okay. Yeah, I'm just don't, traveling straight out. Don't most people say new grads shouldn't travel? Yeah, I mean, that's something people, discur- or a lot of people say. Professors are obviously pretty big on that. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it depends on the person. Depends on the person, depends on where you go. Like, if you want to go try and travel to, like a high volume PT mill as your first mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Good luck. But if you can find like a good hospital based one, especially if it's rural or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think you'll get a lot more guidance. And that's kind of what I did. I went to slow paced one-on-one um, hour and a half South hour South of Atlanta where there wasn't a whole lot going on. So they had a lot more patients and it was a good time to get started and learn. Awesome. Did, how did you find out about that? Was it just luck of the draw or was it, yeah, it was just like the draw. And I mean, I knew what I was looking for. So I interviewed pretty particularly with it. Um, and I was also a fairly strong student, I guess. So I was a lot more comfortable going into it than I think most people were. Do you think like, is there anyone that shouldn't travel right off the bat if that's what they want to do? I think it's just their confidence level. Like if they feel like they need some guidance and need, um, more mentorship at that point, then yeah, I don't think it's probably the best option, but if they feel pretty confident in themselves and being able to handle a caseload and figure out things they need to, then I think it's fine. That's yeah. really my only standard, I think. Right, right on. How long ago was that that you graduated? So I guess, what, like two and a half years or so now? Okay. So, and hmm. so, and you, you mentioned this as well, but and as you're applying back to med school, so what, uh, why'd you decide to, to do that? Like, is PT not enough or is it, was there something missing or was this like the plan all along? So it definitely was not the plan all along. I mean, like I said, I was like, ah, I'm, I don't want to be a workaholic. I never considered being a physician when I was younger. And then here we are. Um, so what it really comes down to is I guess two or three things. Like first off, I love PT still, like I still enjoy it. My hope is to, ideally go become a physiatrist, um, so PM&R, and kind of blend both. And there's a lot of things I'm working on to do that, like an app and some other things. So I don't want to totally leave it. It's just kind of an expansion. Right. Main things that draw me there is just I'm a nerd. Um, I like to learn. I like to try and understand things. And the more I get into PT, the more I realize there's a lot I want to be able to understand that I feel mm-hmm. like I can't really do without going back to medical school. And kind of along with that, there's a lot of points I hit with my patients where I'm like, I want to be able to do more right. than I can now. And so that kind of, that's what draws me to it for the most part. Is there uh, a specific like, example of like, what is it, where do you feel like you can't do it or don't know it or your hands are tied by, you know, our regulations or practice act? Yeah. So, I mean, there's the obvious ones, like dealing with medications, dealing with imaging, um, things along those lines. Um, and so that's a big piece of it. But Sorry, I got distracted. I had to swipe something out. Yeah. No so, 
yeah, in terms of specifics, those are like the big ones that jump out, obviously, are just dealing with medications, getting imaging, longer plan of cares, things like that. I mean, is this because as a PT, you feel like your hands are tied sometimes because you can't order imaging or it takes oh, yeah. too long to get, you know, like if I say, hey, patient, you need to go get a, make sure this isn't a stress fracture. And I know it's what might, they might not make the appointment and it might be two to three weeks before I even hear back if I do. Yep. And so that's, that's a big piece of it too. I've also, I think as everyone has run into some, especially older physicians where they try and kind of control everything you do. And obviously that doesn't really jive with me very well. And so that's a part of it too, of course. Yeah. Um, so going back, going back to school, is it like, did you have to go take other classes or was it just like study for the MCAT and had you already had all the classes? And then you yeah. So it varies a little bit by the school. Um, for some schools, yeah, like one or two schools I looked at, I was good to go. Um, I hadn't taken organic chemistry yet, so I had to go and take that. Mm -hmm. And that, that covers me for a lot of other schools. And then the rest of them, I would need biochemistry and or maybe organic too. Yeah. Um, so it kind of depends on what you took before. But in terms of most of the prerequisites, it's basically just same PT prereqs plus maybe OCHEM and biochem. Right, right. Um, yeah, and the MCAT, and that was horrible. Yeah. I so, did, so, <laughs> didn't realize how much you forget in like eight years. I know, so you, you clearly passed organic chemistry. Yeah, I did pretty well on chem. I, I yeah. did really well on the MCAT, thankfully. Yeah, yeah I, I got an A in chemistry one and two, and then I went away for the summer and came back in the fall, I sat down for the first night of organic chemistry homework. And I was like, it's just a review of last semester. And I was like, I got an A in this, and this is going to take me four or five hours to do the first night of homework. I was like, I'm not going down this road. Like, mm. It took two <laughs> hours to come to that decision, but um, that was tough. Like, what what is it that's motivating you to, you know, keep going back and doing it? I mean, it's not just because, I mean, yes, you like learning, but what's the long-term goal? Like, why are you so motivated to make sure that you get through med school and probably residencies afterwards? Mm. Yeah, so... I mean, the first point is learning really is actually a really big thing for me. Mm -hmm. I know I'm kind of unique in that. It's a much bigger motivator than I think it is for most people. But I'm like the weird kid that reads research and textbooks for fun. Um, on the other piece is I do want to have a pretty big impact in terms of like what I can do with my patients, obviously, mm -hmm. but also on the healthcare system and some other things. And that's why I'm saying um, like there's an app I'm working on and some other things I'm working on. And a lot of other goals I would have with that of trying to um, go and bridge the gap a little bit more between PT and MD. And so just a lot of those goals I have more in the long term help me right now and help me with that motivation. Yeah. I know it's nothing too sexy or crazy of an answer, yeah. but. Yeah, no, but that's important. I mean, because there is a gap because, and there are a lot of people stepping on each other's toes or they think other people are stepping on their toes and really they're not. And then there's like, like the whole ego thing where it's like, mm -hmm. don't, don't tell me what to do. Like, I know it's best. It's like, well, can't we just all get along? Where's the, like, what's the, like, what's the gap between PT and, and, and medicine? And is it, you know, like, is it something that you can't, you can't do or that, you know, okay, if I can go and become a physiatrist, I can really help fix this. And what can you explain? Like, where's the gap for you besides just ordering imaging? I mean, what's the is uh -huh. it standing gap? Is it, you know, treatment? Is it something else? Yeah. So things like imaging, as you said, seeing if it's a stress fracture, um, nerve conduction testing, seeing where any issue in the nerve is, what the extent of it is. Um, 
diagnostic ultrasound, which I know is getting to be a little bit more common in PT, but still not something you see a lot, which can have an impact on dealing with tendinopathy or any tendon related disorder. So that examination piece is large as is, like I said, medications and other things. So, or injections, things on those lines. So my ideal really is basically trying to be a one-stop shop in a way um, for a lot of patients. And that's why I said, like, there's an app and other things I'm working on where I want to take a lot of what I'm doing online with my exercise videos, my programs, um, other things I've written and done, combine it together so that I can hopefully give my patients a PT program I've created for them because I have that background and that knowledge, as well as do any kind of imaging I need to Mm -hmm. get them any medication I think is appropriate, things like that. And And beyond that, um, if I do send them off to PT, I know a lot more what to look for. I know how to communicate expectations right. um, and can just do a lot more, I think, in general. And so that's yeah. the goal. So um, do you, I got like a couple questions and some yeah. of them laughing because like, I mean, I went back to PT school as, a, as an adult student already after six years of massage. And I don't know like some of the things that I encountered, you know, whereas like PTs didn't really understand you know, like what hands-on care can do. And it was like, Hey, you only need 30 seconds of hands-on care and people are good. And I'm like, yeah, but some people need more than 30 seconds. And I have experience doing that. Um, are you like prepared to go to, uh, med school and challenge your professors and be like, um, I've seen this in the real world and it doesn't quite work like that on our end. I mean, is that something that you've thought about? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's because I had a lot of similar things in my class. Like I was one of the babies of our PT's yeah. class. Um, had a lot of people that were coming from athletic training background, massage therapy background, things like that. Like I think our average class age was like 27 or 28 when we started. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the real little ones at 22. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've thought about it quite a bit and it'd be a very different scenario. I think it'd be helpful though in a lot of ways. And that's the way I look at it. Maybe I'm too optimistic, but it goes back to that bridging the gap thing because right. realistically you talk to the most medical professors, medical students, physicians, period. They don't know hardly anything about PT, the PT side of things, that perspective. And so I think that can be really valuable and hopefully helpful. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, I mean, I know um, my brother's friend's a physiatrist and he doesn't really know half of what I do. And Mm -hmm. I know a bunch of orthopedic surgeons, they think we, you know, still do hot packs, leg lifts and ultrasound over here. And I don't know what they think we do. And I, it's almost like, you know, it's like, I get to the point where I like, how do I explain to you what I actually do? Um, because what I do isn't always explainable in words. <laughs> and um, I, I think it's really valuable to have that uh, kind of learning experience. So what, um, what do you see most of in your patients right now that you're treating or people that you've helped through, uh, not just in clinic, but who are reaching out, who've reached out to you through your social media, et cetera. What are they struggling with? Like, is there something common that most people are struggling with that you're able to help them with, or that really all PTs, we really need to be helping people with certain things that maybe we're overlooking because of the traditional um, boxes we put ourselves in. That's a great question. That's why I kind of pause. Yeah. There's nothing that jumps out immediately. Um, I think one thing we do run into a little too much sometimes is just that PT can fix everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very much optimistic. I think it can do a lot more than people think, but there are cases which I've run into and I ran into recently is the only reason I say that where it may, something else may be indicated. Like someone's talking to you that tried working with me and like four different PTs before. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But, yeah. 
like specifically are you able to care, share anything about no the not really oh. sorry <laughs> yeah no worries that's, that's what i was trying to think i was like i don't yeah. think i have a good answer on that one yeah yeah i mean i mean i can i know that like we had someone in our clinic who is pretty much you can tell like it's probably a stress fracture but maybe not and you know it was like what are their other motivating factors for you know um the activities they're doing it's like uh, you know could we help them or not maybe maybe not but mm-hmm. we got to rule it out but then I'm like, well, are they actually going to go do it? Because it doesn't hurt when it's not being aggravated. Like, yeah. Well, if I could just say, hey, go do this now, <laughs> and then we can rule it out. And then it's like, boom. But there's so much going on behind the scenes that are uh, physical or not physical with all of our patients that we can't always know all the answers. But it's, it'd be helpful to be able to have a, an opportunity to work alongside other people in other professions so that we can kind of knock all the angles um but i get it um is there uh what's the number one thing like with with what you share on uh on your social media um what do you find that most people want to hear about like what are there the exercises like the world's greatest stretch you're doing the other day or is it or is it um education on you know what is back pain and you know where does it come from or something like that do you know like what are people hungry for uh so that's such a complex one. Um, and that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier too about depends on which demographic you're talking about, because I think a trap a lot of PTs fall into is mm-hmm. they target towards PTs. And so if you're talking about that, that's a totally different thing. Um, in terms of like your average show person, um, everybody's really looking for quick fixes, which is the fun thing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the challenge of social media. Um, because what sells really well and what everybody always wants is, oh, what's the one stretch I can do to fix this or the one activity I can do to fix this. And fortunately, a lot of PTs fall into the trap of selling it that way. Um, But that's the main thing people are looking for is it's what stretch can I do? What one exercise can I do that'll like make all this go away? Yeah. Um, What is it? I don't know. You'll be real real wealthy. Yeah, it's not a stretch Um, and it's not a pill and it's not a procedure probably is mm-hmm. probably hard work <laughs> yeah and, and that's what i've tried to do kind of from the get-go with mine but especially a little bit more lately is i've kind of cut down some of the exercise video stuff so i can go a little more in depth with talking and explaining a lot more and just doing a lot more engaging with people to try and explain a little bit more about process the process and rationale yeah. behind things what's the number one question you get from people Tell me what to do after they send like my MR, their MRI report. You get yeah. those constantly. It's just, especially a lot of people like outside of the U.S. will just send you an MRI and how do I fix this? What do I yeah. do? Um, but in terms of number one question, there's not really a consistent one. It's you just get constantly inundated with questions, DMs, comments of just I have this pain, I have this issue. How do I fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you just yeah get swarmed with that, even though they can't scroll down like. 10 posts and go find something on that from like two weeks ago. Right. Right. But, yeah. That's interesting. Um, how, how'd you get into social media anyways? Is this like you were traveling you're like, Hey, I got some extra time. Let me go start a Instagram account or sharing some exercises. Was there like a, a precipitating event or is it just your generation of millennials? Right. So um, it's kind of random. Actually, I hadn't gotten on Instagram at all until I started this account. Like I, I was like a never Instagram person. I'm like, I love Facebook. I hate Instagram, whatever. Um, and I just kind of randomly decided to start it 
and look at it a little bit just after boards. Mm -hmm. um, and originally I started targeted more towards PTs and it's okay, it's gonna be a little, a lot more research, sharing research, talking about research, just trying to engage with PTs. And then I see in all the other exercise video stuff and other things out there that were those like five second quick fixes. Right. And like, here, do this to fix this. And I was like, I don't like that. <laughs> and my thoughts were mostly, A, I think I can do it better because I can mm -hmm. get more depth. And B, I want to actually try and give a little bit more depth, depth and better solutions, or at least the best I can do with the format that's in Instagram to right. this average Joe people. And so that's kind of the path I went down with it, um, especially because a lot of like my thoughts behind it, um, which I don't know if you read my personal statement I put recently, but it was basically I want to try and make stuff a little more readily accessible to people that don't have a lot of money um, mm -hmm. coming from somewhere that didn't have a lot of money and not having a lot of money myself, just kind of when I was younger. But, yeah. Yeah. Why is that so important to you? Uh, it's just kind of that, that piece of it. Like I saw the impact it had pretty clearly. Um, kind of like how I said before, I didn't know what a PT was until I was mm -hmm. midway through college. Right? right. That's a lot of it. I think um, like it was not something I basically ever heard of um, around me. I go and talk to other people and they're like, oh, it was all over the place where I grew up when like all my friends did it. I think the big difference here is just there wasn't a lot of money to go do it. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty big impact. Like I wrote in there too is I've had um, chronic pain since I was younger. And I think a lot of that would have been a lot better had I had access to knowledge, information to try and address it and treat it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Well, what's the, um, what's the one like thing that you want to, you would pass on to someone else based on your, your experience of what you just shared with the, with, with Oh yeah. So with like mm -hmm. uh, chronic pain and with uh, making sure that more people have access to the information, like what is that? Um, I think the biggest thing I would just like for like practitioners, which mm -hmm. one's probably listening to this. Um, no, it's just how big of an impact that can have like the monetary piece can have. Cause I think a lot of people tend to just kind of write off um, a lot of patients. They see that don't have a lot of money as they don't want it enough mm -hmm. and not really realize just how big like $50 can be to a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of, at least in like my experience that I've seen a lot of people have problems with and just kind of write that off. So just realize it. It's often very likely not that part. It's just that they, really can't afford it or have it. Mm -hmm. What, um, what's the best way we can, uh, fix that? Because I can like one, for instance, here in North Carolina, we didn't have, we don't, I don't know what the correct term is, but when there was a Medicaid expansion, North Carolina didn't, uh -huh. didn't, uh, elect to take the federal government's money. So for uh -huh. an adult on Medicaid, um, you get like one to three visits to PT. I think you get three visits if you've had a uh, amputation or cancer. <laughs> you get like one visit of PT and it has to be in the hospital system. So I can't treat, even treat adults with Medicaid if I want to. And if you have Medicaid in North Carolina, most likely, unless you're on Medicaid for disability, you're still more like Medicare for disability. You really have very little um, liquid cash. You A $20 copay isn't even like a possibility. So there's like this, there's a big gap here, like um, for services, um, but it's not a place in the whole country. Um, if there was one thing you could do or that you are working on to kind of bridge that gap so everyone has access to PT, um, 
like what is it or what do you think would be the best way to make sure that everyone has it and has some kind of uh you know like uh foot in the door or or there's some commitment to doing it versus just free information that I can get anytime and not really want to take action on it. Mm -hmm. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Um, that's a really hard one. I mean, obviously I don't have the magic answer. Otherwise it wouldn't still be um, a problem. And it's especially hard just where our profession is with generally being a lot more undervalued compared to other medical professions. And so you kind of run that risk of further like devaluing if you are too, uh, give things too freely, if that makes sense. So it's challenging. Um, I don't really know how to answer it. Um, what I've tried to do at this point to take steps against it is a, that free, um, free information I share online and things I try and build out there and cheap rehab programs I'm selling and things like that. Other stuff I'm trying to work on is trying is again, that app and some other things to try and make yeah. a lot more of that more readily or freely available. But yeah and the community. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like one of my ideas, or I think we should, I mean, there should be a PT in every emergency room for people to come in and have pain to be, be at least be that first person to screen people with musculoskeletal pain or, uh, uh, symptoms because well, we all, I, I, as far as I know, research shows that that's a cost savings, uh, effective way to triage people, but no one does it. <laughs> in order to do that, there's a lot of red tape you got to go through. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's that one thing, but well, whether that makes actually like treatment, it's not treatment, is it? That's more like, Hey, I get to screen you and maybe I can do some um, treatment in the ER, but I don't even know if that bridges the gap um, enough. I, I think, uh, well, I guess love to know, like Adam, you mentioned your app a couple of times. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and what is it? I mean, are you in a position to, you know, like uh, some people have a, non-disclosure agreement as they're developing something is yeah. something you can tell us about and share with with your with what it does and what your goals are can't really go a lot into it mm -hmm. um kind of twofold things though i guess just real loose ideas a like i said before just kind of giving away for um like me as a physiatrist mm -hmm. to pass on and share a program with people two is same thing trying to build in a lot of different programs and other things that people can readily access for very cheap that's kind of the idea and so try and give it a little bit more obviously nothing that comes close to actually seeing a pt mm -hmm. it's like diet like diet pt almost but something that can try and hopefully help out a little bit on the er thing yeah it's fascinating so where i was um i went to wash U in st louis and so barnes jewish there they have pts in the ed mm -hmm. and that impact and it was interesting to watch um have you interacted much with pts in that setting I haven't. Um, I mean, I know that like some days I just want to be like, well, give me a job. I'll just sit here all day because when I've been in the ER for other reasons or for friends I know or people I know, like there's people in there, they're just sitting there in pain and they're waiting six hours and they're just, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, and I've spoken with emergency room physician here about what they do, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and I, I know who like the administrators are, but I'm like, God, I'd have to go through like this whole I have to go find the administrator be like, we need to do this. And you know, they don't really aren't going to care unless it makes saves enough money. And I'm like, I don't really have the time to go like to bat for that yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be the one to do it. You know, I'm not going to be the one that does it. And so I haven't, but I can see where it's a, where it's a need because so many people end up doing that and then they get on opioids or maybe they're not, they're not getting on opioids, but they're definitely not coming to see us. You know, they're getting their, um, 
uh, MRI and scared to death and they go get some surgery. And then a few years later, <laughs> yeah. on our doorstep and I'm just like, that's eh, the wrong direct, that's the wrong order. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, the way that I'm trying to do that is, you know, educate the public, but uh, I always want to know like, what are other people trying to do? Like I can see yeah. where you're the, you're going to be the, maybe you'll be our Trojan horse. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's a lot of the goal really as it is the try and set up a little bit more, at least if I get to that point, try and set up a lot more of a network kind of between PTs and physicians, mm-hmm. whether that's just talking, trying to share ideas and kind of understand a little more where the other one's coming from. Yeah. Um, one benefit of the presence I built up and things now, as they may continue through that through med school should hopefully be a lot easier. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, if you ever do want data though, I'm pretty sure WashU has some data on like yeah. cost savings and all that they published. Yeah, I know there's a, a there's, a, there's that, that WashU, there was a, um, uh, I think a hospital in Virginia that did mm-hmm. one, maybe that's 10, 15 years ago, because I, I knew that when I was in PD school. There's also a dry needling, like dry needling in the emergency room. Oh uh, yeah, I saw that recently. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, that stuff's there. And then it's, so say, hey, I got this and this proves me right. But then it's, I got to have this other, we got to go have these other conversations that just even get us in the door or show there's the logic of cost savings, right? Because if it was all about cost savings, Medicare wouldn't pay for an MRI until someone came to see us when they had back pain, but they'll, they'll still do that because it's cost savings isn't the issue. There's politics, mm. right? Yeah, or true. My turf and your turf and everyone's turf. So there's a lot of other dynamics to the situation because if it was just purely cost savings, then uh, we would think like maybe the data would be doing something for us, even for back pain. Right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree, or is it my? Do you see it any differently? No, I agree. I mean, it's just a very fraught situation in general. Yeah. Um, obviously, where I came from and my exposure to it was unique because it was an academic hospital in yeah. that setting. So it's not your. It's not really applicable other places very readily. Right. It would be. I think it'd be awesome if it was. Um, is there anything else you're working on right now? You got the med school app, and you know, teaching exercises and <laughs> rehab stuff? Yeah. Um, a lot of it right now is I've been focusing on picking back up my account and getting it going again. Mm-hmm. Cause like my account was doing really well. I was one of the faster growing ones. Cause I've, I just hit, I think like two years on it, like last week. Mm-hmm. And my first year was really strong, really, really quick. Now my last like nine months as I focused on med school, I like neglected people, didn't talk to people. Right. Um, I mean, people buy people, right? So that's what sells. That's what keeps your account alive and things like that. So I've had to kind of go reconnect and start getting that mm-hmm. going again. So I've been focusing on that. Like I'm about to launch a little like introductory weightlifting program for like 56 year olds this Sunday yeah. and just other things like that. I'm just getting going. Oh, and TikTok. That yeah. was interesting. Nice. How's TikTok but, going? It's weird. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a lot easier to grow for sure. Um, like I think I hit 10,000 in like a week and a half on there, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's a very weird, different environment. Yeah. It just makes me feel kind of old. But. Right. Was that, did you, on TikTok, did, did that grow just from the video you put there or did you share that over to Instagram and, and pull people over from Instagram into TikTok too? So definitely got like nobody from Instagram to TikTok. So yeah. um, just, my first couple of videos did really well and got going on scene. Um, I think TikTok kind of gives you a little bit of boost at the start to get going, mm-hmm. but it's just a weird, different environment. Cause like, even in terms of like same thing, people buy people. Right. Right. But TikTok doesn't really give you the environment to like build that relationship with people very well. Cause it's just not set up for that. So yeah. like 
trying to make sell sales or anything off that. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I had like 700 views on my first TikTok video and like less than 200 on the next four. And I was like, eh, no one's watching my stuff and this is too hard. <laughs> and maybe, you know, <laughs> was there something that you did to kind of, uh, I mean, I know people put up videos of like someone touching the wall and I get a million views on TikTok. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there something specific weird. you did or, you know, so I think the main things that helped me um, a is the fact that I wear dress clothes, even though I get a hard time on it and all my videos and all those things, which on TikTok really stands out. It's like, okay, why are you um, there? Then I have my little banner with like my name behind it. Cause everything's like a 10, 15 second clip. TikTok mostly goes by like how much of that you watch, how much they rewatch. So if they're mm -hmm. looking at all those things that catch attention. Um, I think that's the main piece of it because all I've posted is just really simple stretches and like those quick kind of things. Yeah. And I don't know, like I said, it's just a different environment. That's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. What works um, best on Instagram for you? Like comparing like TikTok to Instagram, is it the same kind of things and, or stretches or, you know, like, is there a certain posts or post formulas that you've done that like, you know, get a lot more views than others? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I actually actively don't do what would probably do the best um, mm -hmm. because it doesn't really fit with my brand goal and what I'm going for. Yeah. The things that do that be do the best are, like I said, those like quick fix type things, which mm -hmm. you see a lot of people do. Of here's like two quick stretches in like 15 seconds to fix this or fix that. Right. Um, and so posting short little clips like that or do really really well, take off because short attention span um, promises big solution. But I don't like to do that because it's not realistic. It doesn't really fit to that whole trying to give people something they can take action off of. Um, in terms of my stuff, it just really depends. Basically, anything about the glutes does really well because uh -huh. people love the butt. Um, and a lot of stuff about like back pain Yeah, generally does pretty well. Yeah. And um, is it just because everyone has back pain at some point? I think that's a big piece of it. Yeah, it's just more more widespread net. And that's one thing PTs run into on there too is like mm. – every if you focus on a condition of like people that see it there's only going to be a really small percent that's applicable to right right so that's a little harder to kind of keep people engaged every time yeah, yeah. so have you um you you told me uh beginning of the show or before we started recording and even like on our email correspondence before or messaging you did you kind of did like a self instagram audit as maybe even as you were coming back you realized you've got bigger different segments of your audience that you didn't really realize. I mean, I've done that recently too, where I went back and looked at some stats. I was like, holy cow, like 4% of the people that follow me live in New York City. Well, it's the biggest city, but yeah. then the second most is my hometown. Um, is, there, is there like a specific um, way that you're now kind of changing things based on the new information about who mm -hmm. the people are that are either the followers on your account or people that are you know, commenting, paying attention, et cetera? Yeah, so it'd be tricky. Um, if I was really aggressively looking to just make money off it, mm -hmm. it would definitely be an indication that I should change. Um, so the big thing is I realized there's a bigger percentage of PTs, especially like foreign trained PTs that mm -hmm. follow me than I'd realized. And so if I was just trying to make money, I'd shift it a little bit more to that. Like I yeah. said, though, my goal with it's a little more complex than that. Yeah. So my target's still mostly trying to give a resource for your layperson, especially your layperson that can't afford a whole lot. Yeah. So I'm not really shifting my focus too much there uh, maybe a little bit in the future but for now now yeah right on you know I think a lot of PTs follow others one to see what they're doing too it's mm -hmm. like great great ideas and inspiration I mean the, yep. I've learned the most 
I've learned the most um, about like pain science education for my patients by reading Adrian Lowe's book that he wrote for patients, not the, you know, 300 page textbook. <laughs> like I, I got the textbook. I was like, I'm not reading that thing. You know, I read the 35 page book and I was like, sweet. Like, you know, I mean, there's a ton of value in like explaining. Oh, for sure. Really quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah. And I mean, everybody has different experiences and things too. So, yeah. I mean, it's helpful for me to watch a lot of the stuff by PTs that specialize in golf or gymnastics or these other things I have no idea about and yeah. just kind of their take on it too. So, yeah. What, um, Adam, I think you're really good at this cause you've already said this a couple of times, but what is it that you don't know enough about that you're probably never going to learn? Like everything. <laughs> um, just the more I learn about everything, the more I just realize we're not going to have an answer to everything and I'm never going to really be that satisfied with what we get. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, kind of my answer because it doesn't matter if we're talking pain pain science it doesn't matter if we're talking tendon tendon issues um or back pain or anything i just think i've kind of come to realize and accept that just never going to know enough about anything just kind of have to find a comfort zone where i can accept it and be satisfied i guess with it or that it's good enough so if i can't help if i can't know enough of everything or if i can't know everything how do i help people and so that's right. I said, it's just finding that border of when do I know enough to make do with what I have? Mm-hmm. And that's where obviously knowledge is always changing. Um, we're always learning more steadily and just updating as we go along. I mean, that's why things are so different in practice now than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. It's just realizing we don't, we aren't going to have a certain answer and just being uncomfortable with the uncertainty and just taking basically an educated approach. Yeah. That's awesome. What, um, what superpower does your red hair give you? Um, I turn red in the sun really easy. <laughs> That's awesome. Get these, get these little dots all over me. Yeah. I've got, um, I bought stock and sunscreen a, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What, um, if, uh, if you could, um, give advice to your younger self, even if it was like you at like 21 or 18 somewhere, um, like, is there anything that you would, uh, Say to yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is probably just don't really doubt what you think it is you want to do or what you want out of life and kind of your life goals there. Um, Cause that, that was a big shift. Like I said, I had actively chose PT cause I'm like, I don't want to be a workaholic. Right. I want work-life balance. Um, mostly because I thought my expectations on what I would want out of life and what goals I would have would change. They haven't changed though. And that at least not very much. And I think had I trusted myself and kind of my instinct back when I was a little younger, I'd be in a much different spot in a whole lot of different ways. Yeah. So that's, that's my biggest thing. Awesome. What's your 10 year goal? At this point, uh, <laughs> well, right now it's to hopefully just get accepted in medical school and then um, I would finish in about eight or nine years. Wow. And so that, that's pretty much <laughs> the entire 10 years. Yeah. So it's get through that process. Do you yeah. have like a, longer 20 year goal? I mean, is there, is there something concrete way out there or is it just this thing is such a big uh, hill right now? It's like, just focus on getting to the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I do. Um, And that's where I said kind of trust on where you think you want to go. Cause I've always been very much a planner of long-term. I mean, my ideal scenario, and it goes back to the wanting to bridge the gap a little bit is to ideally go somewhere, become a physiatrist and take on some form of like academic clinical role and both like an MD and a DPT program somewhere and help try and kind of bridge that gap and um, educate and 
both sides on what the other has to offer a little more. That's really and awesome. So, yep. Hell yeah. Is that, uh, is that exist already? Are there MDDPT programs or is it just like oh. kind of place it like a medical school that does both of them? Yeah, that's what I meant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, like WashU where I went, for example, has DPT and then, I mean, a couple blocks away, the MD program, yeah. things like that. And like a lot of faculty teaching both. Yeah. Cool. Um, at that point, do you think you'll be out of touch <laughs> with what the younger kids want to do and want to know? I think so. I mean, I'm all right. TikTok's already shown me. I am like all these little like slang terms and things popping up. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Right. right. Only way I half noticed because my little brother is like 13. Um, if it wasn't for that, I would, like, yeah. I just found out what bet means recently. I'm like, I'm not that old. But <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Is it, you know, sure. I still, <laughs> I still, I still don't really know. It's just like, uh, I think it's like, they use it kind of like that's chill. Uh huh. Um, or yeah, like they say that's bet is what I mostly hear, but I've heard it used like different ways too. So I'm still slowly figuring it out. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, if someone wants to, uh, get in touch with you, connect or check out what you're doing over on Instagram. What, what's your uh, Instagram or website or best place to find you online? Yeah. Instagram is probably easiest. So that's just dr.afair.dpt. Um, and that's my handle there. Okay. We're just looking at my name. There's not a whole lot of Adam Fairs out there. Yeah. F E H R. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's like Adam bagel boy out there. <laughs> right. He always comes up. He always comes up first. It's not fair. Nice. Nice. Well, there's no other Aaron LaBowers, um, and there's probably no other Adam Ferris either, so it should be pretty easy to find. I mean, no, there's Adam Bagelboy out oh, there Adam somehow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Adam, is there anything else you think would be helpful for people um, listening to know or think about before, you know, whether they're applying to med school or treating patients? Uh, um, I think the biggest advice I'd probably have that I'd share right now is just when it comes to building Instagram and mm -hmm. as a student and younger students, cause I'm seeing more and more of that happen. And it's just yeah. the age group. Cause I'm kind of like, I guess at this point, like a middle of the road one uh, in terms of age. Cause I, I, I got kind of on the end of a lot of the bigger accounts, but now mm -hmm. students are jumping in all the time. And, and I think my biggest advice for them is a, just wait until you've learned a little bit more. Cause there's a lot of people I keep seeing like their first semester of PT school trying to build it out. I'm like, Fortunately, you haven't really gotten real in. And two, just know, look at that audience thing because it's the same thing. A lot of them keep falling into that trap of marketing towards basically PTs in terms of what they make. But mm -hmm. their whole purpose from their bio is trying to target the layperson. And so just try and talk to the layperson like you're talking to a patient, not like you're talking to a PT. Yeah, I think that's a uh, common mistake for new PTs. And I've seen people who've been in it for a long time. We get so into our language that it's almost like it doesn't translate. Is that, that's what you're saying? Like, mm. it's like, we're not, yep. we're using our big medical words and not like the words that people understand. Yep. And that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything specific that sticks out at you? Like, you know, like uh, something you've like learned yourself or found effective where it's, you know, instead of a, uh, you know, like musculoskeletal problem or hernia disc, you know, if you talk about it in this way, is there some example that you can, give us or you know yeah i have actually been surprised that most patients seem to be pretty familiar with the diagnoses especially most that are looking for a pt at that point because they have a diagnosis yeah. have a diagnosis or they've heard it by that point because they're a little older 
Um, the main thing is just try and avoid using any kind of medical terms and trying to overcomplicate it, but keep it very general. Like you're talking to your mom basically because that was the biggest shift is once I made my tone a little more casual, mm-hmm. I guess I'll talk pretty professional, but once I made it a little more casual and like, I'm just having a conversation with like a parent, things right. started doing a lot better. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so important. Um, well, man, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule um, to be here. Um, if you guys uh, want to go check out Adam, he puts up some awesome uh, videos and um, information online. Even just go check out what he's doing to see, you know, where he's heading and uh, get some inspiration for your exercises and patients. And um, you're clearly doing some great things. And so, Adam, I wish you all the luck with med school. Um, and uh, hopefully, you, you get through it. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. You know, unscathed, but uh, um, I really just a lot of debt. Yeah, there's a lot of debt. You know, but what's debt? I mean, as long as you pay as yeah. little as you can every month, it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> Been going good so far. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Um, again, this is the Cash PG Lunch Hour with Aaron Bauer and Adam Fair, and uh, we'll see you on the next show. Pursue your dreams at all costs, and uh, keep going after helping patients no matter what. See you on the next time. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.